So hopefully you've picked up a lesson plan for today and you are in the soul care class and we're talking about love hopefully a five-week series so we'll we'll get started today and hopefully you'll be a lot of interaction with you all as we try to narrow down and, and apply to our lives what what is love so you want to look at your outline there today we're going to be talking about the love of God the love of Christ and the fruit of the Holy Spirit then lesson two will be our love to God towards Christ and our fellow man. Then I want to take two weeks to go through 1 Corinthians 13, basically, starting with the last verse of 12 and the first verse of 14. That might take more than two weeks. We'll see. But that's maybe one of the most concise, detailed, specific definitions of love in the Scriptures. So we'll, we'll spend some time there. And then the last lesson will be we'll just take some counseling cases and talk about how love would apply in those situations so the first Corinthians 13 I did find this book and didn't stock it in the resource center or anything we just want to give you a heads up I'm partway through it it's called maximum impact living and loving for God's glory by Wayne Mack and I found it highly helpful so if you think you're a loving person, read 1 Corinthians 13 and then go to this book. And it doesn't leave you guilty and full of shame. It, it inspires and encourages you onward. So in case you would want something like this as a supplement, I know you all have busy lives and are already probably reading things. So just a heads up there. I've also written down in the outline a potential memory verse. There's, I guess, be four verses, four through seven, out of 1 Corinthians 13. If anybody wants to tackle that, it's going to be a, a verse that would, verses that would really be impactful to carry forward from our next five weeks together. So I used a couple resources to find some definitions of love, just because I thought it's such a big topic. What do, what do people say about it? Love is an internal inclination to hold others dear in the heart that definition focuses more on the heart level of part of love agape is a love that denies self for the benefit of the object loved i thought that was very helpful as well here's one from kenneth wiest agape is a love that impels one to sacrifice oneself for the benefit of the object loved, it speaks of a love which is awakened by a sense of value in the object loved and apprehension of its preciousness. Here's one from MacArthur and Mayhew, their biblical doctrine book, God's perfect love is his determination to give of himself to himself and to others and is his affection for himself and his people. So that speaks of affection and giving. And I wanted to, to read a, uh, a note that was also part of MacArthur and Mayhew's description of love because recently, and don't, don't want to get off on this path at all, just want to make mention of it, the impassibility. Does God have passions? Does he have emotions? So they, after this definition, they write this. This definition affirms that God has 
affections or emotions. But it's necessary to note that God's affections are not passions by which He is driven, but active principles by which God expresses His holy dispositions. God is not unfeeling or incapable of, of compassion. So He talks about that as they talk about that as kind of the balance there. So I thought that would be good and fair to them to bring that in. Because there is debate over does God have affections, emotions, how much is He swayed and moved by, by that. So I thought that was, that was a good, good thing to bring in. The last definition, God's love is His self-giving affection for His image-bearing creatures and His unselfish concern for their well-being that leads him to act on their behalf and for their happiness and welfare. Some of you may recoil a little bit like, does he act for our happiness? And happiness is a word that sometimes is wrongly used. The happiness is a biblical term and a biblical word. Whenever the word blessed is used, often it has a connotation of happy is the person. So I just wanted to bring that out. So that was from John Frame. In the doctrine of God. And he noted, and I like this, this definition includes both affection and action, both feelings and deeds. And he rightly notes that the biblical emphasis is usually upon God's deeds as part of his love, but not apart from his affections, which we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, if not today, later in our study. I thought John MacArthur's explanation, agape love is the greatest virtue of the Christian life, and that is a biblical thing. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Yet that type of love was rare in pagan Greek literature. That's because the traits agape portrays, which are unselfishness, self-giving, willful devotion, concern for the welfare of others, were mostly disdained in ancient Greek cultures as signs of weakness. So anything that was humble in nature, which love is, was disdained by, by the culture. And the word nearly was invented, agape love was nearly invented because of its biblical undergirding. The New Testament declares agape to be the character trait around which all others revolve. The Apostle John writes, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That's from 1 John 4.16 So this is where I'd really like for you guys to interact here for some thought questions. Do you consider yourself to be a person of much love? Why or why not? Anybody willing to bear their soul this morning? You need to ask your spouse. I mean, you may think, what do other people think? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's proof is in the pudding. Most of us probably don't think of ourselves as unloving, do we? Right? I assume most of you think you're a fairly loving person. Charles? Well, I I would fall close to that, unloving. But also, it's not I. When I do show love, it's not I. It's the fact that my love lives within me. It's his love. So if someone says, oh, you're a loving person, I'm (laughs) <laughs> you should have seen me yes. but, but uh, it, I, I hope 
hope that I hope that, that love that someone does see in here is Christ's love and not mine. Yeah, he's good word there. It's not not pure. Yeah, you're right, Perry. Easy to love those that love you. And Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount said, "What thank do you have if you do that?" For everybody does that. Love like my Father in heaven. He sends rain in the rent. The unjust and the just. Heard some conversation about that earlier between some guys in here. But yeah, it's easy to love people that love you, but is that a real biblical love? Well, I think when we think about the law and prophets, it narrows down to two commandments, which are what? Love God and love your neighbor. So all sin, which is a transgression of God's law, is a lack of loving God or a lack of loving your neighbor. So measure yourself against that and how loving of a person are we? So I think when we look into the mirror, we look into God's standard we measure it against the plumb line, it's, yeah, we, we're capable of love through the Holy Spirit, through regeneration that's occurred, but often our motives aren't pure. I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip here. It's just the reality that when we don't love God or love our neighbor, <coughs> we have proved to be an unloving person. I think when we, we take that and think about that, uh, compare ourselves to Christ and love that He showed us. It should motivate us. Don't let it condemn us. Let it motivate us to love more. You're getting right to the heart of the lesson, Joe. That is the (laughs) definition of love. Cross of Christ. Incarnation of Christ. I wasn't saved until I was well, well into my 20s. But I had to be forgiven a lot. I think when you can look back on what you've been forgiven, hmm. it makes you more loving. Yeah. Inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know someone who you believe is full of God's godlike love? What are they characterized by? The church is full of them. The church is full of people who I would say are characterized by Christ-like love, demonstrated often. What would you say they're characterized by? What what makes them a loving person? I think sacrifice, like their level of sacrifice, really determines the level of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they think the best of someone. Mm-hmm. Was that? When they think the best of someone. Think the best of someone. You know, don't yeah. just give them the benefit first. What else? Say humility. Humility? When you sense someone has really loved you, what what was what caused you to think that? Quick to forgive. Quick to forgive. Yeah, it's a 
which is a sacrifice. You give up, you get forgiveness is costly. I think they're quick to do almost anything. They're quick to serve, they're quick to forgive, they're quick, quick to, to offer to help, they're they're quick to do anything. They see a need and they try to fill it immediately. They don't have to think about their schedule or how it's gonna affect the rest of their day. Other others minded, unselfish, thinking about others. Yeah. Truthful, but in a very gracious, kind way. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Truthful in a gracious, kind way. I wanted to say willing to rebuke. Is it tough? tough? I like that one, yeah, willing to rebuke. <laughs> but I think that their rebukes are measured. I have a friend that had an issue come up, and not, or not here, had an issue come up that he was very unhappy with something that had happened in this house. It was justifiable. And I said, and just thinking about how to, to respond to that, he met me some exact I think you have to be willing to review, but I think you also need to use, you need to, wouldn't even say pull your punches, but be measured about what the proper response is. That I think of godly men in our church that have corrected many men my age and I don't think any of us have ever really gotten yelled at I think we probably have felt like we've been yelled at <laughs> but I don't think there's any aspect of anger or rage within those rebukes now I think it's also appropriate at times that Sometimes you have to yank people out of a fire, and that might look vigorous <coughs> at the time. Yeah. But I think that's also probably at the edge of those responses for what would be normative. Yeah, there's a few of those missions that have happened, but they're not normal. But yeah, that's good, Chris. I just think there's a deep love in the heart of evangelism, too, sharing the gospel with somebody mm -hmm. else, seeking their highest good. Yeah. What's like, what did he say? I, I said that I just think there's a deep love in the heart of evangelism, wanting to share the highest, wanting the other person's highest good, which is Christ. Yeah. And I was going to say, something that under, I think supports what Miles and also Chris said, those are hard things sometimes, but if you have an eternal perspective, you know that it's important enough that I need to really help my brother if he's in sin, or I need to go tell this this lost person that they need to be saved or, or they're heading for damnation. So like there's a there's a perspective on this life is not all there is and there's a more important thing coming. So there's judgment coming. So out of a out of perspective on that that's mindful of that then you it can help you. Even if you're very shy and bashful and, and you don't speak well and things like that, there's if you have that perspective, that's a, that's a big enough, important enough thing that can drive us. It goes back to some of the definitions you guys are talking about. It leads him to act on their behalf and for their happiness and welfare. So that's God shared the gospel with us for our welfare. Welfare of the person they place their love upon. So perfect love casts out all fear, so it would be somebody who is fearless. Love leads to, um, you know, the Spirit gives us, on a, 
spirit of fear, but of love and self-control and sound mind. I was thinking about that in terms of the last question, if I find myself a loving person. Um, and I, often I think I fall short of, of that definition of love if I don't share the gospel or if I'm not willing to rebuke. And if I'm not going, willing to take that step, am I really being loving? Or am I just, because I can be kind to almost anybody, mm-hmm. but that falls short in love and I'm, I land at, what am I? I'm tolerant at that point. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a lot in the speaking the truth in love. Love is not necessarily tolerant, mm-hmm. right? At times. We should not be tolerant of our own life of sin or our brother's sin that we're aware of. In First Corinthians verse, uh, um, chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, the last one always gets me. It says, endure all things. And there's a time element to that command. And that you see many people around the congregation enduring through a walk of time and spent with time in that walk. And that's there are marks and indicators of that everywhere. It's, it can be big or small, but you can you can clearly and visibly mm-hmm. see it. So. And, Who do you hold forth as an example of love? I mean, other than Jesus. Are we allowed to say <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's really what I'm looking for. <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah. It's the bottom line. And we see people who have that Christ likeness. Mm-hmm. and God-likeness. And we should, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But ultimately, and as I did this study, it's just, that's it. It's God the Father who initiates and acts out of love and with loving deeds. And it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Mm-hmm. When it's all said and done, that's who we should hold forth as, as an example of love. You want to see a, somebody in real life here? Yeah, they're here, but most likely they are following Christ mm-hmm. and emulating Him wholeheartedly. Do you prioritize love in your pursuit of Christ's likeness? Mm-hmm. Just asking that because that, this we're focusing on on love here. Just wanted to throw that out there. This study's helping me do that, by the way. So, and I would also say just in discipling and counseling, almost all the issues that I deal with personally and deal with with other people are a lack of of loving God or loving their neighbor. So loving God is simple as if you're disobeying God, you're not loving Him. So almost all the issues come down to love. I ran on to a comment that was made by John MacArthur in a Q&A that almost all, in fact, he did say all church disunity issues come down to a lack of love. thought that was interesting. So the need to prioritize it is, is huge 
Ephesians 4, 3 talks about bearing with one another in love, keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Any comments on that? Prioritizing love in your pursuit of Christ-likeness? I'd be interested in hearing from you guys. Is there any is there a particular scripture that inframes and inspires your pursuit of godlike love? Like you have your go-to verses on love in the scripture that you refer to. Luke nine twenty-three. Which is he said that if you would follow me. You must take up. If anyone would follow up, come after me. You must deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. Yeah. And that word daily in there throws everything through the loop. <laughs> it's, it's like, how often? Uh, often. <laughs> yeah. And so he's referring to a sacrificial love and on our behalf. Yeah. Denying yourself. That's it. That's love. I was looking for John 3.16. Yeah. <laughs> Some people, yeah. Yes. Great one. That was the Iron Man version. Uh, can I? <laughs> I always think it's an interesting parallel. If you go to 1 John 3.16, mm-hmm. you find, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That is so profound and simple right there. Uh-huh. Yeah, a lot of 316s of the scripture yeah. in there. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting. John 15, 13. Greater love have no man. <clears throat> Has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Mm-hmm. Is that laying down, giving up? <clears throat> on behalf of someone else. When I think of trying to love, I think of Christ's sacrifice and Isaiah 53 is what I always go to. Yeah. Hopefully you have that in your your life. It's this verse or verses or particular text like in Isaiah 53. Book of John, First John, Book of First John. Mm-hmm. It's loaded. That you reference miles. Well, here's another question at the top of the third page. Have, have liberal theologians and mainline denominations so held forth the love of God? And I and I may insert here a weak or skewed view of love, God's love, but to the exclusion of the other attributes that biblically faithful believers have swung the pendulum too far the other way to compensate. I guess what I'm trying to say by that is do we downplay the love of God because some are overplaying it and wrongly playing it to the exclusion of His holiness or His um, justice or His sovereignty? Throwing that out there, does that does that happen in our circles? David shaking your head. Yeah, I think so. I mean, 
Sometimes if you listen to Christian radio and you hear, you know, between songs they'll comment on things and some of the things they comment on, you feel like, nope, I have to correct that. <laughs> too far on the loving side. Yeah. Yeah. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I think so. To the point, it's like if you, if in some reformed circles, talking about the love of God in a purely biblical sense can almost sound, oh, you're... You're going with the liberals here, or whatever. You're, you're going. I just I've been in a few of those kinds of conversations. Like it's always well, you got to talk about his justice or his holiness. Yeah, but let's talk about his love. It's real. Okay. Well, apart from that, his justice and his wrath don't seem loving at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, they seem punitive. They have to be taken as a whole. And then there's the warning to the Ephesian church in Revelation about. You've lost your love. You're mm-hmm. doctrinally sound if you've lost your love, and therefore you're not effective. And you're not, and you're, you need to repent. See, I think that really gets to, to what this question is talking about. Yeah, Friday night at our table at Iron we were talking about this. And there's somebody there that they grew up in a church that was all about God's wrath. And he just seen God as punitive and vengeful. There was no mention of God's love. Yeah, I think and that made it hard for him mm-hmm. growing up. You know, I think it's particularly hard for men because it's love seems like soft. It's like I kind of like gentleness. We're like, no, am I gentle? I don't know if I want to be gentle. Like, it seems like it's <laughs> yeah, it's not very strong or manly. Or, so I think it's one of those things too for for men that we to be characterized by love is maybe challenging to our pride, maybe or manliness in a sinful sense. I think a lot of us also have a knee-jerk reaction against the human definition of love. And we are we're approaching a month where there's going to be love is love everywhere. Mm -hmm. And trying to guard our children against that and trying to guard our hearts against that and trying to guard our minds against that. Our our knee-jerk reaction is to guard against love in a human sense. And that's where the definition gets skewed is when we say that God is love, we're not talking about the love is love mm-hmm. type of love. That's not the definition. Um, so, we, so we need to make sure we're biblical. We need to be discerning, but we shouldn't shun the idea of love because it's been skewed. That's correct. That's a good way to put it. Got hands going up here, Chris. I think one of the things along with that we have to remember is these liberal churches aren't they're not Christians they're, the word that they use for God is a, their concept of God is a totally foreign concept to us they've denied every orthodox part of our faith and so they're going to use weird terms that don't mean anything to us because they're lost people that are worshipping a false god that they've made in their mind. And I think that we have to, along with that, I think we have to be cautious and I am the person who could be argued that manipulates language professionally. So, (laughs) 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 whatever term you want to use. But I think that we have to be cautious to fight for for the semantics of these things. Because these words do have meaning. These concepts do have meaning. 
And especially when we're using this kind of language with non-believers, they have no idea what we're talking about, but they might have some understanding what the United Methodists or whomever might argue this for. But at the same time, I think we have to be cautious and guard how we handle this because I think one really valid criticism that has come from the more historic higher church reform people of people like us that would be more from a fundamentalist background, which most of us are, is that fundamentalists, while we have our theology right, are kind of rough around the edges. And so we do have to be cautious how we use that. But at the same time, we can't play their game with language because they're, they're, it's a moving goalpost with what these words in turn mean because they don't have a Bible that they believe is a standard for time. They have a Bible that they believe men is molded through whatever cultural expectations there are at time. And I think the Bible does profoundly clear and excellent job in finding what love is. We're going to try to get to that. We're going to hold that out to one and all. I think there's another hand. I don't want to say you will. No, I was, I mean, I was kind of in between what Marcy and Chris are both saying. That it is semantic. And if you don't have the right definition, we're talking different, like we're speaking different languages yeah. to each other. Where I would say, like what Marcy's saying, the world is defining love as tolerant. And that's clearly not what God is talking about. They're using love mm -hmm. is unconditional. Mm -hmm. you know, so we might get to that if somebody has that question later. I'm not trying to put that question in your mind, but we'll. <laughs> Whoops. I just wanted to agree with you in the definition of hesed is mercy and agape are so important to teach our kids that. So when they hear what love is, because love is just such a general, vague term, emotional fulfillment, but if they don't know the biblical term, they'll be yeah, I think there was, I think I read where there's 347 references to love in the scripture, including the Old Testament. And most of the Old Testament references are Hesed love. That, if you remember, Dave recently talked on Ruth, taught on Ruth and Hesed love, that steadfast, loyal love. In the New Testament is mostly uh, agape, the verb is agapao. And there is some Philadelphia love a little bit in there. And interestingly, most commentators don't really try to differentiate between agape and phileo love, which I thought was interesting. The phileo is kind of more the affection and the brotherly love type thing. So they're really, <clears throat> they're really both, both aspects are there. Which brings us to our issue is most of these churches don't break down the verbs. They don't study the Greek or the mm -hmm. Hebrew or whatever. Yeah. They read love in the English and we have essentially one word that applies to lots of different situations. It's a very feeling, right. um, feel-good kind of thing. A warm fuzzy that Brock doesn't want to be, apparently. <laughs> 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 Sorry. It's not, made out of not manly. <laughs> no fuzzies. <laughs> yes. So what attributes of God do you think of when you think of God? Just. Okay. Patient. 
My view on God has changed so much because I grew up believing that God was just waiting to punish me. Hmm. And now I just, when I think of God, I think of just his long-suffering kindness mm-hmm. and patience. Yep. <clears throat> I think it, I think most of his sovereignty through all things. His holiness. Others? Mercy. Mercy. Which, interestingly, is, is a part of love. It's a great part of love, actually. Some places, in fact, in some places in the Old Testament, some translations, we use mercy instead of steadfast love. They're so, so wrapped in there. Unchanging. Unchanging. Didn't hear anybody say that hurt mercy. I didn't hear anybody say love is the first one that you have to be, you think of kind of interestingly. I did try to be honest with myself. I think I think of goodness first. Mm-hmm. Often think of his wisdom, his holiness, and then his love. I don't know if it's in that order, but yeah. um, it's kind of interesting. It's, you know, think of his love as much as sovereignty, I think it's sovereignty a lot as well. But I think his expression, the expression of these other things, we might not say love, but the expression of his patience and, mm-hmm. and kindness, forgiveness, sovereignty, goodness, all these things, that is a reflection of his love. It is, and it's amazing when we get to First Corinthians 13, like, when he finds love, love is patient. That word suffers long. Is we think of patience as something different than love, but it, it's part of love. Mm-hmm. Suffering long, forbearing. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. First Corinthians thirteen thirteen. So I think that is a profound statement. The virtues of life: faith, hope, and love. Love is. The greatest of these. So let's look at the love of God, and just we are going to be strictly biblical about this. Somebody want to read the first, the first one there? We'll just kind of go around the room. You guys can read these. We'll read them all. Actually, at the end of each one, I just want to make a quick comment, and then we'll go to the next reader. So anybody take off unless you want me to assign. I got the first one. I thought you would, Miles. I was really calling you. Good. Thank you for volunteering. I love it. It's great. First John four eight through ten. Anyone who does not or does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So quick comment. Twice, what do you see in this? God did what? Sent his only son. Sent his only son. That's love defined right there. God sending his son. Who wants to do John 3.16? I can. But you can't do the paper. Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that 
whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I was loved to find there. Sent his only son. <laughs> yeah. Romans 5 8. Dan. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What do we see God doing there? <laughs> yeah. God's love and sending of of Christ is this beginning to be a theme. Mm -hmm. So I think that I have a wrong verse for the next one. First Corinthians thirteen eleven is not Second Corinthians. Must be. Somebody want to read it while somebody looks it up? Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So the point of this verse is <clears throat> he's a God of love. And he's also the God of comfort, the God of hope, the God of peace, the God of endurance, the God of encouragement. There's more that he is. The God of love. Somebody look, is that 2 Corinthians 13? Yeah. It is? Okay. Ephesians 2 4. I'll read it. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Ephesians 2 4. Put a, should have put five in there. The, the bottom line of that great love is that he made us alive together with Christ. Yeah. A lot in that passage. But the point of this verse would be that he loves us with what kind of a love? A great love. He's got 1 John 3 1. Chanel. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Here again, the love of the Father is manifest in that He has made us and called us His children. Zephaniah 3.17 Nancy. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one who will say, He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Here's a verse that speaks of his affection <coughs> to his people. That is undeniably a heart driven or an affection driven. <coughs> You guys have other verses that you want anybody want to throw out there that teach us about the love of God. There, there are many. Just wonder if you had one that's like, oh, that one should have been in there. Could have been a lot of them in here. But um, John.
John 15, uh, 8, 9, and 10. So, or mostly 8 and 9 for God's love. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Uh, abide in my love. And he continues, and that gets into us, but just that, that I mean, in John 17 a little bit too, is the way that the Father loves the Son is the way that the Son loves us, and the Father loves us, and, and that's that's huge. I, I know, that's humbling and stuff. Remember the first time that sunk in? Like it's, it's pretty hard to. It almost is like, is that blasphemy? I don't yeah. know. If that's, <laughs> God loves us but. with the same love that He loves Jesus, mm-hmm. which is from before the foundation of the world. So. Romans 8.38 For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Powerful verse. Powerful Mm -hmm. section of scripture. Romans 8 about 28 through the end. Mm -hmm. Nothing will separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Powerful verse. I did not put very many Old Testament references in here. I mean, we could there could be so many. I just wanted to read one to you out of Deuteronomy 7 just to let you know that it's not that God's not just a New Testament God of love, that the Old Testament has His love as well. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, you nor choose you because you were more in number than the other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Two motivations for God having his special uh, nation of Israel, his love and his word, his oath to the forefathers. So it's it's all over, the love of God, and it was evident in His love for His special nation, people of Israel. What observations would you make as you read these verses? What themes, actions, or char- what things characterize God's love? I'm going to like what comes up over and over in these verses. It's a sense of sacrifice mm-hmm. cost Him to love us. Yeah, sense of sacrifice. Uh, Jens had mentioned that early on. As a initiation by God. Yeah. Uh, not waiting for us to do anything. He initiates it while we were still sinners and while yeah. we were rebels. The first thing I had down is that God initiates. That's what love does. It doesn't respond, it initiates sacrificially action is involved it's not just God saying it he does something I think that should be something for us we can't just say it it has to be love and deed not just words yeah. <coughs> heard it years ago God did not sit in heaven and have warm feelings towards us <laughs> it is acts deeds and earlier you may have remembered that the emphasis in Scripture is upon deeds, the affections there, 
but it's upon acts of sacrifice, acts of service. What else? I think a sense of belonging to God and to each other. The familial, like, you know, talks about aim for restoration, comfort one another, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And then what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that you should be called that we should mm-hmm. be called children of God. There's that like we are you know, we are together. We are he is our father, we are his children. Living that. Yeah. That's good. It brings us back to Eden. Brings us back to paradise. His love. Back to being in his presence. Yeah, like Romans five eight pretty clearly says that. While we're still sinners. And while we remain saints, we or are saints, we remain sinful as well. I really like what you said there about presence. I think that seems very active and characteristic, and, and that's something that he says to almost in one of my favorite verses, um, Exodus 29, 45 and 46, where he says, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and be there. Dwelling in presence is a very active attribute of him. Yeah. I think God's love is demonstrated in the very first act of sin. That yeah, they they were going to die, but he he put that off and covered them, made the way forward, already indicating I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore our fellowship. Restore presence with one another. Will. Also, the concept of truth um, and how love and truth are parallel. And with the verse that we read the beginning there that um, true love rejoices with the truth. So with the postmodern idea that, you know, there's many different truths, that's not just like there's many different definitions for love. There is a true, true, there is a true love. We read that word again. Yeah. Yeah, what you said, Nancy, about the... uh, not our worthiness it's just not there and God's love is independent of, of that and so should ours be like there are going to be times when we're going to sacrifice on behalf of people who may not seem like they're worthy of it right at least from our standpoint kind of remember our own state and that might help us think about that Talked to a man yesterday that giving his testimony. Actually, Romans 5 8 was the scripture that had got him. He was nine years old when he <clears throat> suffered for a couple years for some unexplained health reason. He didn't really know and didn't really find out what it was about. He didn't think God loved him. So he, 
He went way away from the faith, went way out there. And at age 23 or 4, he's listening to Caleb. He hears them say, if you doubt that God loves you, which was exactly where he was at, read Romans 5.8. Read Romans 5.8. Just kept saying it over and over. So he did. And it just got him. That's how God loves me. God does love me. Even the state I'm in, He loves me while I'm still a sinner. So I thought that was really neat. That the testimony of one verse about God's love brought about the conversion of a wayward sinner who's now in the ministry. So it's terrific. You know what? I don't think there's any way we're going to get to the end of this. <laughs> so that's probably a good thing. We will pick up next week with the love of Christ. We'll go from there.